Today we bring you a heartwarming episode, which is really fortunate because we were on the road in Boston and it was really freaking cold. We talked with Melissa Goldman and Daphne Strassman from The Village Works, a neighborhood co-working space in Brookline founded by creatives who create environments conducive to doing your best work. Also, we talk Triscuits and gut health. Plus, Foo brings us really groundbreaking work in the field of the Boston accent. I'm Melissa, and I have a half a box of Triscuits for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> it's happened to the best of us. So I guess I'm, I'm wondering about your creative lives as well. Are you able to strike that balance to do both? No. But you're having fun. Because we, we tend to be a little nosy here. <laughs> We're up in each other's business about stuff sometimes. Just the perfect amount of nosy. <laughs> exactly, exactly, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm Kate Martin-Williams. I'm Jessica Cole. And this is Effing Shakespeare. By writers, for writers. This past April, a friend dragged me to the opening of a co-working space in Brookline Village called The Village Works. When I arrived, I fell in love with the exposed brick, wood floors, and general good vibes of this space, as well as the owners, Melissa Tapper Goldman, Lisa Wasserman, Sivan, and Bobby Zucker. I had a conversation with Daphne Strassman about parenting, and all around me there were creatives cross-pollinating with lawyers, designers, entrepreneurs, and a whole bunch of other cool folks. All the things that help me do my best work are here. The aesthetics, the walking distance from home, the kitchen, proximity to real life, things like the post office and doctor's offices. In other words, a neighborhood that feels like a community, a place that allows me deeper involvement and engagement in my community, both in terms of geography and in terms of other writers and entrepreneurs. Places like The Village Works helps me do better work, just as Kate, Fu, and Paula do, and having my two work families meet and chat is a bit of a dream come true. Melissa and Daphne, welcome to the show. There's taps, but there's no beer in there. Yeah, I was sad. I, I, I like the sparkling water, but, you know, I was looking for a beer at, like, so nine o'clock. That was nine o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. question, yeah, but we do want to know. Well... I'll start by saying that if we had beer on tap, I would be drinking it at 9 in the morning, and that's why we don't have it. <laughs> beer and Triscuits is a yeah. classic combo. We, um, I think that, that you kind of tuned into one of our um, fine-tuned differences um, that, that, make us, that make us what we are. So the Village Works is a neighborhood co-working space, and our whole concept is work near home. It's for the ways that people have reformulated their lives that integrates work and life in complicated, enmeshed ways. Um, and we try to create the infrastructure that makes that an excellent fit for as many of our community members as we can. So we do have seltzer on tap, but not <laughs> <laughs> Although, yeah, I do get kind of a disappointed reaction sometimes. And then a very happy reaction the other times when it's like, oh, good, not another place that I have to think about how much fun am I supposed to be having. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's so true. 
So we heard about the uh, mass development grant money that you guys received, and that's really exciting. Could you um, could you give us a sneak peek as to what you might be doing, earmarking those funds for? Do you have any idea? So we got a grant from the state of Massachusetts, and that's going to help us improve some of our multimedia tech, more of this podcasting, but also just ways to make the world smaller. You know, we've got our cell phones, our smartphones, and our devices that help make our personal lives smaller, but we are still working here to help people make their professional lives smaller, working when you, if your partner, your business partner is half a country away, what are the ways that a workplace can help make that run smoothly? So some of that is in technology and it's stuff that's best shared. You know, we've got a community of people so we can have access to the hardware and the software that makes that possible that people can't necessarily do in their own homes all alone. So that's what we're looking to to make sure that we're doing the best that we can in our neighborhood workspace. That's fantastic. Um, we had a tour when we first got here, but maybe we could back up just a second and tell people what this place looks like who don't have the advantage of seeing its beauty firsthand. So this this is a, um, a really beautiful uh, brick exterior building. It's like four levels. And it used to be what before? Because it had different incarnations of, of... Oh, it's had as many lives as we've had. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> it, was, it was a, a, a paint and hardware store. Mm-hmm. It was a number of different pubs and restaurants. Mm-hmm. Uh, wallpaper it, store, right? Yeah, like mm-hmm. a, an, an old-timey wallpaper hardware painting store from, we think, the 1860s. It's incredible. Yeah, but think, um, you know, certainly minimalist but cozy um, exposed brick a lot of white walls, a lot of beautiful blonde wood. It's just um, a, a pretty remarkable and, and gorgeous place. Light, light, lots, lots of natural light, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed to keep going. There's a You come in, there's a beautiful lobby mm-hmm. with a nice spacious cafe in the back. Right. And upstairs, I we saw the private offices. Right. Um, so there's more reading permanent room. space. Mm-hmm. Reading room. There's yeah. nooks and crannies all over the place. There we recorded are. our... Um, our little 30-second video in the little nook behind the stairs, and it was quite lovely, too. Mm-hmm. So it just seems like you guys have thought of all these ways to be beautiful and functional, which is really great. Yeah, this, they, they, they really have um, found ways to maximize um, the space in, in a lot of creative ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I... One of the hats that I wear is as a designer, and my co-founder, Lisa Wasserman-Sivan, who's covering the front desk (laughs) so we can have this conversation right now, she is an interior architect, and design really has infused how we approached the whole process of, of creating this space and this community and this building, and Daphne also has an amazing facility with putting spaces and environments together through design, so... For us, it's an ongoing creative process of making the best community physically, interpersonally, and learning from what's going on mm-hmm. and continuing to iterate on that. So we really all consider that a creative process that's ongoing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. To answer your question about where the idea came from, I think that's that's yes. pretty relevant here. Mm-hmm. Is So I was working previously to being in Boston, which is where I'm originally from, but I was in New York for a long time, and I was one of the many masses of people working with a MacBook Air in a coffee shop in Brooklyn. There's a lot of us. <laughs> <laughs> and I was working on um, uh, writing and multimedia projects independently, hustling for, for a long time. And 
I just kept feeling like my needs were almost getting met, mm. except like given the amount of money I was investing in croissants that like I both <laughs> wanted and really didn't want. Yes. But I was like, there's there's some other alternate universe version of this cafe mm-hmm. where there's always a seat and where I'm not setting myself up for these distractions. And it's so close, but yet it's not this. And and I really, I you know, I'm as a designer, I was really tuned into what are the small things that could be different that would make this a completely different experience. And I and I was learning more about co-working over a number of years and, and, and what it's about and how it works. And I became really passionate about putting myself toward creating a physical space where people's great projects could exist. Some of that is like a day job. It could be a creative thing. It could be someone who has a mixture of both, like I was at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and I just wanted to be involved in making the physical space where new work happens however we define work, because that's really different for different people, even different moments in the day. So I went out, I set out on this goal, and and I wound up deciding that Boston was the place that I wanted to make that happen. And I wound up um, joining forces with Lisa, who was really on a really similar mission, Mm -hmm. totally independently. Uh I mean, we, we had both been kind of developing this idea and developing ways to make it a reality for a number of years before we met. And then when we were put together, we were like, we were introduced, and I was afraid we were going to be stepping on each other's toes, like two designers who want to build a co-working space. <laughs> like, what if what if I want to pick the seats? But it turns out, <laughs> turns out we had really complementary desires and visions, and we um, really respected each other a lot, and were able to miraculously work together super well. And we found a third partner, Bobby Zucker, who um, also shared this vision and wanted to make this happen. And actually, it was through um, my media work that Daphne and I came into each other's lives mm-hmm. on a previous project totally unconnected disconnected from this all together mm-hmm. multimedia project and and we had stayed in touch and when it came to be that this was going to happen in Brookline we were actually first in a smaller space and Daphne started being really helpful to us and also started running a community writers mm-hmm. group out of our space, which was, from our point of view, an amazing blessing because we totally wanted to support things like that. And Daphne had this vision, and it was like, how cool that we've got the space mm-hmm. to let mm-hmm. visions mm-hmm. for the community, blossom. for the creative yeah, world uh, blossom. So we all just, I think we all felt super lucky to come together in that way. But I was I was also super excited about the space and, and what you and, and Lisa and Bobby were doing and just really got it immediately and was so thankful. And, you know, people walk in here and we know their names. It sounds mm-hmm. a little like tears now, but <laughs> but, but it is. It's, it's, um, it's, it's a sense of being part of a community, but also you have the unique opportunity to create and, and work at your own pace and do whatever you want to. And there's always coffee, and there's always a place to sit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. You don't need to um, worry about someone stealing your bag when you go to the bathroom. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's yeah. so awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things I think Shakespeare does or likes to do is talk about how we take uh, the intersection of our writing lives with an actual life that makes money. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of hustling involved and that kind of thing. But there's also... For especially for those of us who came out of the creative writing world, where um, it's all about craft, and there is there wasn't a whole lot to talk about when it came to like how you actually mm-hmm. right. make money right. in this world, and so hearing 
you guys tell the story, Melissa, about how collaboration led you to be able to do both good work for the community, but also, um, I'm assuming, make money here. Um, is really inspiring. I love, I love that that's a, a part of the story. So I guess I'm, I'm wondering about your creative lives as well. Are you able to strike that balance to do both? No. No, <laughs> <laughs> so it's a failure. I, 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 <laughs> yeah. But you're having fun. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. no. I, I would really love to say that I have found some sort of amazing balance between being able to honor what I really, really enjoy doing, which is writing. And and I came to writing in a completely different way. So I was I, I did my hustle in my career first. And then, so I, I worked as an executive for a large retail uh, organization for years. And then had a had a small toy store. And then after that, you know, had kids. So, so I decided to go back to school and get my MFA because it, it just took me a while to kind of embody this idea that I was a writer, although I've been doing it for many, many years. So, so for me, it's kind of the reverse. So I did all of my money earning and my hustling early on in my life and then came to the creative process and the writing much later. But, you know, having said that, life is complicated when you're a mother and and a spouse and and you have a career and aspirations and a desire to create. And that's always uh, difficult. And I am the poster child of not being able to figure it out. But but I, I don't give up. And I'm thinking that next year... This this next fiscal year, I'm really going to devote to putting some things and commit to them, um, mm-hmm. and working on some of my projects. Mm-hmm. Well, I've been in startup mode for the last almost two years with this, with the Village Works. You got you guys have been here since April, but yeah. the other place was open longer, right? Yeah, and we were in. We had to rehab this building in a major way, so we were working on plans and construction for a long time before we were physically here. So for me, that's made it really hard to make time for mm-hmm. my other creative endeavors. But I, like Daphne said, I'm, I'm in process. And um, I, I, it's interesting to see how the phases kind of morph into each other. And this is actually, usually I'm someone who likes to be doing six projects at once. So this was kind of a new experience for me to be like, I have to make space for this startup, uh, which, you know, I'm really passionate about. And I I get to do a lot of creative things through it. So finding the space within my job to be like, okay, I'm going to take the time to write an article about what we're trying to do and really see that as part of my job. I think that's that's been really, really helpful. But I also, like, I have other projects that I'm, that I'm working on. And just trying to see I've been really lucky to have this job that involves part of my creativity and mm-hmm. and then not feeling so bifurcated when I'm just working on spreadsheets for a week because I understand that there's going to be there's I'm going to make it a priority. I'm going to make time for for the other parts of my professional identity too. Mm-hmm. And isn't it sort of true that the you know, getting the wheel started down the hill takes the most work, hopefully. I mean, as Lisa was saying upstairs, that's been around now. And she keeps thinking, like, this is working. Yes. It's working. And the mm-hmm. momentum is, you, you guys are gaining momentum. And there's a light at the end that maybe there are going to be more times and spaces mm-hmm. for um, creative work. But I do think there's a process of 
continual reprioritization mm-hmm. that's really important for mm-hmm. anyone working in anything creative and in anything entrepreneurial. Absolutely. Because you can get sucked down mm-hmm. the rabbit holes that you are inclined to be sucked mm-hmm. down. And I certainly do. But that's for me like the process of becoming more mature over the last 10 years of working on this stuff is realizing like if I don't make time for this this week, am I, is it really important to me? And like we talk about this a lot mm-hmm. and hear like kind of Marie condoing your life. Yes. No, that's like that's like sort of a terrible way of looking at things, but mm-hmm. also can be useful to get super real and be like, well, I need to minute to minute and day to day kind of put my priorities into play. And then sometimes just stepping back and being like, wow, I super failed at that this month. <laughs> like, can I, can I, you know, yogically, no judgment, be like, all right, let's Fine. let's make next month involve more of the things that I think should be important to me. Sure. That's, I, I mean, nitty gritty wise, I think that that's like, that's where the work happens for, for me personally. I'm sound, now I'm sounding very... No, but but I'll tell you something that is is true in being in the space is that you have the ability, at least working here uh, with Melissa and Lisa and and Bobby and and the community here, is that everybody is in some sort of similar space. So you get to feed off of that kind of energy or that, you know, those hacks that you learn or those ways of looking at some of these unfinished projects or the the creative life versus the practical applications of what you have to do. So this is a good space for that to happen. And I think it's one of the reasons why I was attracted to to the space. And because I can hold these writing workshops here. So I'm still writing at a, at a certain level. Right. So I'm still mm-hmm. connected to that part of my brain, my life. Right. Including asking for advice. The other pe- I mean, mm-hmm. that's the thing. There yes. are other actual people here. It's that's not right. virtual. That's right. So, I mean, I've talked to Daphne about <laughs> everything from <laughs> how to, and this would be a segue into yes. your book project, sure. but how to help my son with some of the complex feelings around divorce mm-hmm. being a being a six-year-old so absolutely i really appreciate and love your book so why thank don't you, you tell us a little bit about that thank <laughs> you that's it's an old project that that's it's coming back to life thanks to my conversation with jessica about this but it's i had this experience of being divorced and remarried and the, the way that people talk about it is blended and reconstitute it which i hate because it sounds like food <laughs> right it's which horrible is funny because you're Cook a chef. Yeah, well, I well I love to cook. I don't I don't know if I'd consider myself a chef, but I do love to cook. And but yes, I I didn't like any of the terminology, any of the the literature out there for for children. And my process was about normalizing the experience for for my kid and having her understand that this was a different kind of normal. And that what she was experiencing, you know, comes along with the sadness, but I didn't want to focus on that. I didn't want to, you know, just be Pollyanna and just disguise it for her. But I wanted her to have concrete places and things that she could go to to normalize her feelings about what was happening. So, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about uh, working on that again. Mm-hmm. And that's another sort of intangible that comes out of these communities mm-hmm. is that being around another writer and triggering that part of your brain that maybe had been quiet because there were other things that had been prioritized. Most. Yes, and just to, like, sort of the other half of that is we mentioned on our podcast last week with Karen Walrand about me coming here and having this writer named Karen Walrand's book open, 
and I saw Daphne and I just knew that she would love it and oh, I gave it yes. to her and she asked and you know was mm-hmm. attracted to it and I said oh yeah you would love mm-hmm. it look through it and that inspired Yes, another another, another way. Yes, another way of looking at it because the the book was so visual, mm-hmm. and the way that the photographs, you know, how they bled, you know, on the page and everything were just so amazing that I have a memoir that's written in vignettes, and some people have talked to me about it being kind of precious coming from an MFA. It's just you know almost too precious, and so it's been in a drawer gathering dust, and. It seemed to me like a great opportunity to blend it in with photographs of cooking and uh, from Dominican Republic. Yeah, exactly. And recipes from my aunt and just kind of going back to some of those those roots. So if I can maybe spend some time in Dominican Republic just perusing some of those old haunts and uh, talking to friends and maybe gathering some of those recipes and food that I grew up with. I think that that would be a nice way to combine the photographs with the vignettes. And that came out of this beautiful book that Jessica had opened on the table. Because mm-hmm. we, we tend to be a little nosy here. <laughs> we, we're up in each other's business about stuff sometimes. Just the perfect amount of nosy. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Nosy. Yes. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I would also like to shout out just a, a very tiny project that one of our members did when we in our first year of being open. It was actually started in the in the smaller space, which is one of our members, Jessica Yulian wrote um, a column on money well spent in Money Magazine about her experience as a writer working in our Mm co-working space. I don't know if there's a way to link to that. Oh, we can the put website. it in um, Can't wait to read it. Mm-hmm. And I had nothing to do with the creation of this <laughs> column. She really was, was working on it on her own, and I learned a lot actually about her and her experience through reading it. But what she focused on was having a place where she was just a professional. Uh, I mean, where she was re- she was wearing her writer hat, but um, not primarily wearing her parent hat, and and really being able to be seen not just as a writer, but as a professional. So people mm-hmm. were meeting her as a professional, and it's like, what kind of professional are you? <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. a professional writer. Right. And that, that gave her f- freedom and a, and a kind of empowerment to, to really reclaim some of that identity that had been sort of stripped away through years of being in settings where she wasn't seen that way. Yes. And it was something that was super touching to me, and, and really I appreciated her sharing something that in some ways is so personal and, and vulnerable in Money Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and she's a great, she's a, uh, she's a great member. Yeah, she we really love having her nice. here. And one thing I'd just say for people listening to this, you, you're listening to it from a place that might have a co-working space. I'm not here to sell co-working at all. In fact, what I would just want to say is not every co-working space is so writer-friendly as we are, but true. it could be, and you could be the person, you mm-hmm. could be the member who joins and creates space for writers as professionals in your community. And I think we've been so lucky to have some writers like Jessica and Daphne in our in our early iteration. They kind of helped set the stage for other writers to feel welcome here. And I love that part of the mix, the industrial mix of people in the space, it's not just coders. It's not just people who are in a startup kind of strictly startup setting. It's a combination of writers and creative professionals and um, and those those same people that you expect sort of more tech focused to be in a co-working space. And it makes it so much fun to be here because you're True. meeting different people with different different passions and different talents. And 
I think we all benefit from that so much. And I, and I love and have a lot of pride that there's great projects coming out of the Village Works, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, novels getting done, uh, essays, nonfiction, journalism, mm-hmm. in addition to all of the other cool startups that are coming out of here. And, and I feel, I mean, I guess it's not exactly fair for me to take credit for everyone's novel. <laughs> Go for it. But <laughs> given that, yes, go for it. I'll take a little bit of space. credit. Yeah, yeah, it you is. Share you do. You get yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I'll and I'll I'll share. You know, when I when ne- next time I'm next next piece of mine that comes out, I'll just add like and the village works. And the, and the village, village works. That's awesome. That's awesome. No, I think that's an important um, distinction too, because for writers, we have these writers groups. And this is something different than that because of all of that interaction. You know, I think that there are ways for writers to come out of their holes and and collaborate and commune with other writers. (laughs) Um, But that professional piece Mm -hmm. is so important and lends a lot to, I don't know if I can get touchy-feely, but to your self-worth and your your own legitimate, like, right to hang that shingle. Absolutely. Um, Right, ask for the money that, you know, we deserve, right. the work we do, right. you know, and all of that. Yeah. yeah. And seeing yourselves in the entrepreneurial setting when you're in that, right? I mean, I'm not trying to make everything about economics, but we do live in a society that tends to devalue the endeavors that aren't money generating. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I don't know where you've been. <laughs> But so I do think, you know, being here and being able to have both of those identities simultaneously. And I remember when when Jessica first came to us, you know, a lot of our conversations were about startup stuff, about websites and web presence and marketing. Me, Jessica, you, Jessica. Yes. you, Jessica. I'm sorry. <laughs> the very we, Jessica we, sitting we with me. No, she's, like, she's like my doppelganger because mm-hmm. I met her. I was like, your name's Jessica. You're a writer. I, I mean, she, she was a very important piece for me coming into the Village Works as well. So I was like, which, which one? But yeah, I know. <laughs> Jessica <weird>. Cole. When <laughs> Jessica Cole came and blessedly came into our lives, you know, we had conversations that were about Jessica Cole, the entrepreneur, as mm-hmm. well as Jessica Cole, the writer, and they're mm-hmm. both parts of the same person, and they and Crazy. and we we like them both. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's true, though. What what's what? How many spaces out there are there where not only different people, people who are primarily creatives and people who are primarily um, involved in startups, get together, but also I'm both, and I can't imagine another home where I could switch hats so easily, you know, and talk to the same people about two different things and get great advice. Oh, and parenthood. I mean, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I love your your article, Beyond Four Walls, Treating a Neighborhood as a Work of, Mm -hmm. as a Work Infrastructure. I have, I taught at the Boston Architectural College for several years, and it blew my mind. I, I always knew that I was obsessed with space and place. But that gave me, working at the BAC, gave me some real concrete theory behind Mm -hmm. my inclinations. And, I mean, we did things in my first-year writing classes, like using pinups, architectural design pinups, which is a a design thing that the students are already used to, where they're pinning up their, their visuals. We did it with words, with introductory, introductory paragraphs, cool. and and wrote on each other's. So it was it was very much again like 
you know, getting out of the squirrely, sometimes shameful, certainly devalued space of writing and putting it on walls, it changed so much. It changed my writing, it changed my teaching, it changed a lot. So again, coming to the space, I was, for some reason I was like, this is this is the I, these are the ideas of the BAC made real, you know. Anyway, but do you want to give a little bit more insight about your article? Because I read it and I was like, I understand this, <laughs> I I, <laughs> I get it, and I don't have a design background, but being here and my experience there, I just I really responded to it. That's awesome. So, <laughs> I'm glad to hear someone read it. That's at least one person read it. No, this is something that I wrote for the Design Museum Foundation, and it was about the urban design approach to starting this business and what it meant for us to embed ourselves in a neighborhood and not just think about what can we create inside the space. But Mm -hmm. also, what were we plugging into outside as far as the resources, the other local businesses we wanted to connect with, the local business uh, ecosystem that we were going to be contributing to and also drawing from? So just like the briefest word about my background. So I came from a writing, writing and design background. So I was one of the people that like even Barack Obama would make fun of who graduated with an art history degree. <laughs> but you know, shocking Obama. Oh, and I'd, I'd take it again. I'd take it. <laughs> no, please make fun of me. I finished college and was gainfully employed. Thank you very much. <laughs> She's, <laughs> the She's, She's the one. She's the one. She's the one person. Yeah. Got the yeah. job. Yeah. And I was working. Um, I was doing, I was helping with academic writing, contributing to academic writing, because that's what I was trained in. So I, my, I had studied architecture from that point of view, and then I was writing about architecture and design. And then I wound up going to architecture school. And at, at each of these points, like design and writing were both a part of what I was up to. Mm-hmm. So sort of reflecting back on on this project and this, the, the bigger picture ideas that we were participating in, whether whether we acknowledged it or not, right? So we're changing this neighborhood, whether we acknowledge it or not. And we can say it's for the better. It's certainly, it's, it, it's good and bad, and every kind of change can be good and bad. But we wanted to be part of contributing to the economic life of a neighborhood that's right now, if you walked around, it's mostly shopping and eating. And we wanted to be a part of the generative process (laughs) of of having you know bringing different kinds of economic activity um to support what was already what was already special about the neighborhood and so versus the google model which is and solar have a dentist on site but Mm -hmm. don't go out to this yeah so never have to leave we encourage people to leave (laughs) (laughs) and come back because we wanted to because I wanted to acknowledge the value of what was around and be like, let's add to this value rather than, you know, put up our our fortress walls and in our in our compound and say this is where everything good happens. We're like it's we're a part club. of the world. Yeah. And you do work hard with creating partnerships with some of the local businesses here to you know to expose them to our members and. And vice versa. So oh, that's, that's great. Th- yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I've told at least Kate, but probably Fu also, that the the event that I went to in April, the open house, was catered by Refrulo, mm-hmm. 
which is owned by Colleen, who uh, I'm good friends with, and she's a, a, a local business in Brookline. She's a single mom of three kids. She's created this beautiful, similar in aesthetics cafe, and also is very community minded and an incredible cook. Yeah, and she is. She yeah. makes mm-hmm. such good food. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they had reached out to her versus, I don't know, I, I, Enter Bagel Company name right. here. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it was really important. Mm-hmm. And we take that, you know, we, we take that actively. Like a few doors down, there's a great space that's called the Golden Chickpea. Mm-hmm. I'll give them a plug. Mm-hmm. They're a, they're mm-hmm. a kids, uh, kids play space that has classes and, and other activities. And we're like, okay, how can the people who are utilizing, you know, the parents who are utilizing this play space also utilize us? And how can we find ways to make that more useful for both for, pe- for, both, for people who need workspace and people who who have parenting duties and kids need play space. So we we really are looking at all the kind of assets in the neighborhood as things that can be really useful as our members are curating their lives or they're, they're weaving their work-life matrix, as we call it. That's not a simple thing uh, on any level. No, <laughs> and, it's higher and, level math. Yeah. <laughs> and and how, can we, how can we be helpful as, as a part of that to help people have whatever kinds of self-direction they can they can muster in their, their complicated lives. So I don't know if I answered your question about the article. Was there anything else that I'm... I was saying? actually going to ask Daphne about um, programs, if that that's your, your niche here. Absolutely. And I wonder if that speaks a little bit to mm-hmm. helping alleviate this higher-level math that we're all trying to do. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, the programming here in, in the Village Works, we're, we're trying to do a couple of different things. The, we started with the a writing marathon, which which Melissa started in uh, the smaller space, and that became probably one of the things that I was most attracted to. So that brought different members of the community. And you come in and you just work on any project. So So that will probably evolve into writing letters to your congressman or some other kind of civic-minded type of writing marathon. Can I have a Skype portal like, <laughs> dedicated can. to Skyping in Houston, from Houston and participate in Please do. Yeah. Please Great. do. Just wanna, there's there's yes. got to be a nook that we can yes. just like put Warm my little... Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so then we have certainly my prompt writing night, which I love because it also brings a bunch of different kinds of writers of all levels and uh, all genres. Us, and that's just uh, simple prompts that people elaborate on uh, for 20 minutes. But then we have a lot of talent within the membership pool here. So we have consultants and career coaches, mm-hmm. and we're encouraging them all to do kind of like a lunch bag series where we can eat and learn from some of their you know, expertise, uh, lawyers freelancers. So yeah, so so a lot of different kinds of events that way. And but certainly my my first impression when I was talking to Lisa and Melissa about the space was that they wanted to ensure that this was open to people who normally wouldn't have automatic access to the space. So we're still trying to figure out ways and how to get that the word out beyond just uh, who we have here and see if we can create a more inclusive kind of environment when at all possible. Mm-hmm. That's great. Is that a, because I'm sort of a co-working newbie, mm-hmm. are those programs things that other co-working places are doing? That seems like you're trying to do more than just use the room. 
So I think some other co-working spaces are doing a great job with this and have cool programming. A lot of it is professionally focused. Um, right. And I think that's something that's being done super well in a lot of places. We want to be contributing to that as well. But for us, there's also this secondary objective of just making the community useful to lots of different people, even if it's not doesn't have like marketing objective and saying, okay, well, are we going to get any new membership out of this? We might just want to say, we just want more people in the neighborhood to know what we're up to and feel welcome and feel like they can walk in our doors. So we have these free public events that are really meant for everyone, especially people who don't need day-to-day co-working because that's not everyone, right? Like that's people right. have jobs in offices. Mm-hmm. Some people I've heard, it's <laughs> yeah. still a thing. I don't know them, but I've heard tell. And so people can work at home just fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah, totally. Some people, and some people, don't, or they don't have the budget for it and we right. totally understand that too. So we want to still have ways that people can connect to our community and contribute their their personal, whatever they've got going on. So we've got this sort of bucket of events that are there that are to be available to the the neighborhood and the neighborhoods around our neighborhood because we we don't see this as strictly about the three blocks <laughs> proximate. There's 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 neighbor where Brookline Village is for those people who are not living in Brookline Village currently but are listening um, <laughs> is at the nexus of a bunch of different neighborhoods um, within Brookline within the city of Boston where you can kind of see the border with the city of Boston from our front door. So um, Jessica and I. Jessica Cole and I <laughs> both live in uh, Jamaica Plain, which is a, a Boston neighborhood. Am I allowed to say that? Did I just stop? Did you just no, no. <laughs> divulge her, her secret lair? She lives at. <laughs> right. There's only one house in Jamaica. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we both live there. There we go. Small world. <laughs> so we have Brooklyn and Boston mm-hmm. residents and people coming from different places. But um, but yeah, so we so that's where I think there, there's programming that's for the membership and there's mm-hmm. programming that's for outside the membership. And Daphne's been really helpful in bringing in folks um, you know, through through her writing group and through her just being a excellent personality out yes. in the world that everyone wants to be around. Yes. <laughs> that um so just trying to make this a, a welcoming spot, um, that that's that's one of our one of our core goals. Absolutely. Our podcast is called Effing Shakespeare because people say that, you know, basically all stories come from him. I mean, they're really only like three stories, right? And he's done them all Mm -hmm. better than anyone, um, whoever he was. Um, And we're just sort of deriving (laughs) (laughs) and tinkering from that point forward. So if either of you had to point to one work of Shakespeare that influences your writing and or design aesthetic, uh, what would it be? Okay, so I'll, I'll go because I, I've um, I I was introduced to Shakespeare very late in my life because uh, most of my educational experience, most of my formative years, were in Spanish. So um, by the time that kids were being introduced to Shakespeare here in this country, I was probably introduced to Cervantes or right. you know some of the Latin American mm-hmm. writers. So <clears throat> I can't speak to um, to really having um, a specific. Um, piece of Shakespeare's that that informs my writing. Um, obviously, all of the plots are just all 
you know, things that I run across in real life. So they wound up in my memoir in some way, shape or another. Um, but it was it was hard for me to read Shakespeare because of the language. And so I could very easily enjoy a play and get the wit and all the undertones and everything else where if I had to read it, it, it was not an easy process. So um, so I'm sure it's it's one of those plots is, is always, um, you know, in, in my writing or all of them are in my writing. I just can't speak to a direct connection between Mr. William and <laughs> well, uh, no, I between think, Bill and, and, yeah, and me. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But I think it's an him. important lesson, too, though, that there are words on the page, but we're creating thought pictures yes. as we read. And so as writers, yeah. that's an important thing to if if the language is such that it draws you out of the ability to create that picture right. in your head, then... And memoir is, is I think, if, if we were talking fiction, I could probably maybe have a little bit mm-hmm. more of a direct connection. But memoir is so complicated in that you are both the character and the author. Mm-hmm. And um, you are writing and you're still trying to create and evoke some sort of sense of plot or narrative. And you're trying to do that naturally without thinking about it. So... Um, so I think if if I was writing fiction, I could probably maybe just yeah. draw some more direct connections to that. But but yeah. Although in fiction, you're also the author mm-hmm. and maybe one or two of the characters. <laughs> I'm just saying, when I tried writing fiction, it was really, it was like Clark Kent and Superman. I couldn't fool anybody. You know, it was right. just so obvious. It was just, yeah. It he was a yeah. lot of people. Yeah, he glasses. did. Exactly. <laughs> so, just put yeah. on the glasses. Exactly. So this was me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh. Fiction, oh, memoir. Yeah. Fiction, <laughs> memoir. Yeah. Where did we exactly. go? <laughs> I don't have a good answer to this. I, I guess what I'll say for representing for the terrible readers out there, mm-hmm. like I do, I I mean I'll I'll own right now. Like I I am a writer. I get paid to write, but I'm I'm not like a cat. I don't think of myself as a capital W writer. Mm-hmm. But I was always terrible in school at reading. I was slow at reading. I take forever to read. I mean I love to read, but I I don't think I read in the same way that the capital W writers that I know read. I can't I can't read quickly. I can't read well. So um, yes, I definitely in the course of my lo- long education <laughs> encountered a lot of Shakespeare, but I would say that um, I'll just put in the plug for those people out there who have different learning mm-hmm. styles but are still able to extract mm-hmm. some kind of um, effective communication out of it and contribute. Yes. yes. I love Absolutely. it. That's mm-hmm. a great answer. All right, Daphne, this is for you. If I did a search and find in your Word documents, what word would I find you use or overuse? Sortilege. Sortilege. Yes. So so it's some sort of, it, it sounds so much nicer in Spanish, which is sortilegio, but it's, it's, uh, it's kind of like a witchy quality of, you know, somebody flashing you a smile and, and you can see the future. It's, it's one of those words mm-hmm. that only exists very nicely. In um, in um, in Spanish and hashtag uh, goals. I, I want yes. that to be the word. I <laughs> and I, and, I, have, and I I'm hoping I'm pronouncing it correctly in, in English. But but yes, it's it had to it it had to land um, in one of my stories because of a song that um, that talks about 
you know, this the spell. Yes, exactly. <laughs> with a smile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Melissa, what word do you hate to hear misused and or mispronounced? I'm not supposed to say hate, mommy. Dislike. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a good yeah, answer. <laughs> Daphne's like, can Daphne, I ring Daphne, in? Daphne. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, what is it? Um, let me see. Now, of course, now I'm forgetting. It's impactful. Oh, uh, because so, colons are impacted. But exactly. So exactly. <laughs> That's what I think. Not mine though, because I just you know I just had my colonoscopy, so it's all good. <laughs> and I, I just think, had half I'm a box clear. of truth. It's so. all good. So yes, so we're all good. Thinking, I always think wisdom tea. Oh yeah, wisdom yeah. tea. Yeah. So I don't. So there's a technicality in which that word works because I've I've looked it up, but man, does it rub me the wrong way because people are not using it. It's so much that I had to raise my hand. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so we'll go um, back to Melissa. What's the title of the Word doc last open on your desktop? Oh, they're all called working documents. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like a string of random thoughts and, and projects. <laughs> Please don't open my computer. Yeah, that sounds like It's so much worse computer. than anything that you could find on someone's yeah. desktop that they don't want to see. It's Have like the inside that? of my brain. There's yeah. like the meme of the writers, the way writers title their documents, and it's like novel final, novel final <laughs> yes. final, yes. novel fucking final. Like. Novel final five. I had to put an infinity mark at the end of my documents Mm -hmm. uh, just to get edited. It's like edit number infinity. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Daphne, if you weren't doing what you're what you are doing, you'd be a a jazz singer. (sighs) She just won. No, but Mike seriously, drop. yeah. Literally. No, seriously, I, I can't sing though. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I would be doing. That's small technicality. Yeah, so it can be overcome with some training. Yeah. <laughs> the book that changed your life. So this is kind of recent, mm-hmm. but right after the election last year, mm. when I was in a vulnerable place, I read all of the Neapolitan novels. Mm. Elena Ferrante mm-hmm. and um, brilliant that was like it was like being pummeled and reconstituted in in the in the in the, the worst not, way the that worst that, uh, <laughs> that Daphne was talking about, <laughs> but just like living through thirty years of fascism, like like in four books. But <laughs> it, it was um, it was really meaningful to me because I felt like it was it was a different. I I don't want to be like. Essentialist about her being a, a woman, or we believe that she's a woman. She's her identity is not totally fully confirmed, right. but mm-hmm. it was. A, I felt like totally different perspective on how to be a person in in a public world and giving voice to stuff that was not that I had never heard formulated in words. So that kind of that blew my mind at a time when my mind was being blown in all in all, all directions. Yeah, other ways, yeah. Um but so yeah, I recommend if you haven't had enough pummeling, read read uh read my brilliant friend and and the subsequent novels. Daphne, what's the book that's on your nightstand? My nightstand is made of books, so it, <laughs> so th- there's a ton of books. But but I have I should have protected you from all of this. It's uh, Nadja Spiegelman, yes. the daughter of the the author of, of Mouse. Your on writing Bible. Do you have an on writing Bible? So this may sound 
whatever cliche, but there's there's this essay that a lot of people point to the George Orwell essay on mm-hmm. politics in the English language, mm-hmm. and I think for me, just the question of really distilling down to what do you really mean and cutting the BS is okay. like it's like a lifelong project, and I and I refer back to that a lot. I love that. Stephanie, what's your favorite place to read? Anywhere where I can put my feet up. Like I can read anywhere as long as I can put my feet up and it's acceptable. (laughs) (laughs) So I can't read on planes because I can't put my feet up. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. The writer you'd most like to have dessert with? Lindy West, please. And I love desserts. (laughs) Lindy West, (laughs) if you're listening. I know Lindy West. She just, that essay she just wrote is so great. I'll send it to you. This is my, like, my nonfiction world where what I read is the, the internet. She's also a book author, but um, but from the uh, Jezebel line of, of yeah. mm-hmm. women mm-hmm. in anger. It's mm-hmm. her latest. So good. What's the best piece of writing advice you've ever received? Uh, write about yourself. Don't write about other people. And that was Juno Diaz told me that. Mm. So that's before he was famous, and that was pretty cool. So wow. you meet him before he was famous. I well, he's Dominican, yeah. so I was I was researching different ways that people remember the same, you know, event uh, in memoir, and I asked him if he wanted to be interviewed, and he's he did, said yes, and we hung out a whole afternoon, and it was really mortifying because I left in tears after I talked to him. It was like you know, because some of what he said was extremely profound and helpful to me, but that was it. He says, "Stop writing about other people, just write about yourself." And that so. was when he was at MIT? Yeah, he was at, at MIT uh-huh. at that point, yeah. But it's it's been a while. That's before his whole mm-hmm. award Pulitzer things right. and whatever. Yeah. That thing. That Those thing. things. <laughs> um, yeah. I I think for me, you know, architecture mm-hmm. school, it's it is it's just another form of art school. Right. You know, it's the same pummeling. It's the same, yes. uh, you know, tear up your ego and then mm-hmm. hope that rebuilt. you maybe can get rebuilt or not. Or, you know, mm-hmm. same, same This deal. is like just a personal question. Is it the same um, we are only going to talk about craft because that's the important part and, and the business and all the other stuff is like outside the purview of any of the professors? Yeah, I think there's a lot of... The disciplinary boundaries that people are very precious about. Right. Yes. Okay. I, and my, you know, from my outsider perspective on it, sort of perching, um, I think that there are some schools that will remain unnamed with lots of pedigrees and that sort of thing that are more theory-based, strangely enough, uh, the ones more invest- invested in the pedigree. And then there are others, like the BAC, that really part of the pedagogy there is how do we balance theory, you know, the applied and the theoretical, and how do we make this a practical and a creative degree? It was the most exciting thing about working there is being so, having, you know, everyone engaged in that conversation. Mm-hmm. And they didn't all agree at all, but everyone was you know, forced or, or invited or whatever to be part of that conversation. And don't you find, Jessica, that, that places like Grub Street yes, really yes. fill a void? So Grub yes. Street is this, this nonprofit organization uh, who, which works with writers uh, from anywhere from craft 
and intensive level courses that are MFA quality, mm -hmm. but also uh, how do you freelance? How do you negotiate a contract? Mm -hmm. um, how do you pitch? And so that part, which is missing from so many MFA programs yes. in, in, in writing, for sure, um, are I think are voids that the schools themselves are starting to maybe realize uh, they need to attract people because it, it doesn't matter if you come out with some sort of beautiful, precious, perfectly crafted, you know, brief kind of writing if you can't do anything with it if you don't know how to pitch it. Right. And Grub Street is so cool because back to the design thing, it's an actual physical space. It is. Because we, Kate and I, read Nathan Bransford.com, uh, and he's a really wonderful resource. He's a former agent. He mm -hmm. has all these tabs, how to write a synopsis, how to write a... Query, query letter. Um, and he's a, a really generous and helpful guy. Mm. But it's it's a website. And so having an actual physical space to go to an actual class or to take it online if you, you know. Right. Have child care challenges. <laughs> That's right. Well, Melissa and Daphne, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you great. so much for having us with thank you. Thank you. Thank you very it's much. It's been a it pleasure. Was great. Absolutely. I'm so happy. Effing Shakespeare is brought to you by Bloomsday Writing and Publishing. Write to be read. Find out more about partner publishing and cooperative writing at bloomsdaywriting.com. And by our friends at Houston Creative Space. Photography, video, recording, graphic design, and fine art. Find all things creative at Houston Creative Space. Production assistance and audio editing by Duke Liu. Our social media and marketing maven is Paula Liu. And our chief audio, visual, graphic, and everything else engineer is Fu Liu, who constantly reminds us the perfect is the enemy of the good and who loves us despite the fact that we consistently ignore him at our own peril. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Bloomsday Writer. Show us some love, subscribe to our show, and leave a review on iTunes. You like apples? Yeah. Well, I got a number. How do you like them apples? <laughs> <laughs> I'll make it through the day with some help from Johnny Walker Red. Send the poison rain. Down the drain to put bad thoughts in my head.